It is Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke. SI has dropped the top 100 players of the NBA. Ben Golliver and Rob Mahoney put it together. And Ben Golliver joins us on Locked on NBA to address all the big questions about the SI Top 100 list. It's next on Locked on NBA. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Ben Golliver of SI is the Thursday guest. The SI Top 100 is out. There's a huge amount of conversation about it. And personally, I would just say I think Ben and Rob did an amazing job. But let's find out more from Ben. You can also hear him on Open Floor Podcast as well. Read it at SI.com, the Top 100 list. Ben, let me just get take us through who were the voters, how did you guys decide. Let's start there. For sure. Well, first of all, we like to consider ourselves sort of like the principals, you know, handing out the grades uh, to these players and, and giving them the demerits and, and all that stuff. And now I feel like I'm, you know, now going to the principal's office myself. So I'm going to hear how we're doing from you and maybe your listeners and, and whoever else. But our process is pretty simple. Uh, Rob and I, uh, you know, we, we have a, a giant spreadsheet where we put together the players' rankings from our previous years. This is our sixth year doing it. So we've got a pretty good uh, you know, data set in terms of where guys have been in the past. Uh, we also look at, you know, the major advanced statistics, whether it's player efficiency rating, win shares, uh, you know, warp uh, from Kevin Pelton, uh, and then uh, also real plus minus. And anybody who ranks within the top 100 of one of those statistics, uh, we look at all of their advanced stats uh, in all of those categories that I mentioned. Um, so that, you know, gives us a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a numbers complement to what we've been watching, you know, all season long. Uh, we go our separate ways, you know, make our own list, and then we put them together. And then we start at the top, and we argue every single number, just like you might argue in the barbershop, right? So LeBron versus KD, KD versus Steph, Giannis versus Westbrook. We just uh, go right down the list, and we try to come to a consensus in terms of, you know, who we think is going to be better uh, for the coming season. And I think that's the you know most important thing that sometimes people miss. It's a one-year exercise, and this is not a video game or a fantasy rankings. I mean, we can't turn the injuries off, right? So if you've got some players like a Porzingis or a DeMarcus Cousins who are going to miss significant time uh, due to injury, or maybe there are some questions about what their health is going to be when they come back, we are going to factor that in, uh, no question about it. Uh, in addition to the stats that I mentioned, we look at playoff performance, we look at uh, experience, you know, per game stats, we look at contributions to winning, uh, which guys are leading the most efficient offenses and defenses. Uh, we tend to value complete players, two-way, uh, positive impact-making type of players. Uh, obviously, guys who uh, you know perform well in the postseason are going to get a bump from us. After we've made our, our list together, our joined list, we send it around to all of our SI writer colleagues, uh, you know, in the NBA department, and we, we absorb all of their beefs. So just like your listeners might see some, you know, guy, he's number 22, but he should be number 45. Well, we get that kind of feedback, uh, you know, from our colleagues, and then we go through every single one of those in a very organized manner to, you know, check our own logic and to see if they're raising points we hadn't considered. Um, at that point, we start the writing process once we've uh, taken into account all of their feedback. And as we're writing, we're trying to make sure that we don't have any glaring omissions or, you know, uh, overrated or underrated guys. You know, if you start writing a blurb and you find that it's hard to make a case for a guy, you know, that's a red flag. and We, we probably need to move that guy down. Um, but once we're done writing, unless we get some big late-breaking injury news or something like that, 
Um, that's pretty much the list. And, um, you know, we put it up on the website and then we let everybody tear it apart. Uh, you and Rob are pretty like-minded, I would think. Did that what you discovered? Well, I would say, first of all, Rob's very agreeable. So you have to be really out there to pick a fight with Rob. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably, uh, on Jupiter, maybe not quite to Pluto sometimes. So, you know, sometimes I can kind of get him into some uh, disagreements, but, but not always. I think over the years, we've kind of coalesced to, uh, you know, a viewpoint on the game that's not necessarily just his thoughts or my thoughts. Maybe it's a kind of a shared brain type mentality in terms of what we're looking for. Um, and we do try to refine it. You know, we, we try to learn from year to year, you know, do we have any blind spots? Are there guys or types of players we're consistently overrating or, or consistent, consistently underrating? Um, are we being too reactive uh, to a certain development? Are we judging the injury issues? Like I mentioned early, uh, you know, fairly. Um, but I think in general, uh, we've been doing this long enough that we don't get sidetracked with, you know, nonsense arguments. I think we can kind of boil it down, the discussion down to where it needs to be. Uh, but we don't always agree, you know, and it, it's kind of funny. Like uh, sometimes these arguments over one spot can drag on for 45 minutes. And like, you know, you go up and take a lunch break and you, you look at the clock, you're saying, man, do we really argue about number six for 45 minutes? Like, what are we doing with our lives? But Hey, it's, you know, August and September, uh, the quietest time of the NBA calendar. Uh, so we might as well invest the time and, and try to invest the thought. When Andrew Sharp sends you his beefs, do you listen? Absolutely. And I, I do want to give Andrew credit. You know, I like to, you know, poke fun at him, uh, you know, on the open floor, of course. And, you know, we like to kind of razz each other. But every single writer on our staff brought something very interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of guys, whether they've covered, you know, specific teams in the past, I mean, you know how it goes, like, you know, the jazz better than anybody, right? Like there's no way any national writer is going to know the jazz better than you do. Um, and that goes for, you know, some of our writers as well, where they've been in certain markets like Miami, you know, our, our writer Rohan really knows the heat, uh, you know, forwards and backwards. Uh, Sharp obviously knows the wizards. And he also, uh, you know, brings a different perspective, like, I don't play fantasy basketball. I'm not sure if Rob does, but in general, we have no idea, you know, what the fantasy rankings look like at all. And so sometimes, you know, Sharp might be able to say, hey, look, like, you know, this guy in the fantasy rankings is way above where you have him or, or he's way below. And sometimes just knowing where those gaps are uh, in terms of perceived value of players can be very helpful in us uh, determining, uh, you know, is our analysis right? Or it was our first in instinct maybe incorrect? Or do we have a blind spot? And um, so, yeah, he's, he's definitely swayed us on certain guys. You know, I always like to joke that he just falls in love with the bucket getters. But the more important that offense gets, uh, you know, the more efficient, the more spacing and, and switching, you know, comes into the NBA – like bucket getters, you know, we've had to kind of boost some of those guys up a little bit and uh, in this year's ranking, and, you know, I think we should probably give him credit for that. I actually thought you did a nice job. I don't want to, I don't want to get lost in the weeds in the, 60, the 80s and 70s. I actually thought you did a really nice job of representing the defensive players. I've kind of been on my island of that I think, particularly in the regular season, offensive and defensive players have the same impact on games. Um, the more and more I watch it, and obviously watching Utah last year, I felt that way. I thought you guys, particularly in the early sections, gave a lot of credit. You know, for every Reggie Jackson, there was a Damari Carroll or you know someone of that sort. Forever Evan Fournier, there's a Kent Bazemore who might actually be playing defense. I, I thought you did a nice job uh, in that regard. Yeah, we try to we we try to sprinkle those guys in, and sometimes like. 
we have so many like little pet projects, you know, the defensive guys, it's like, Hey, you know, Damari Carroll did not need to work nearly as hard as he worked last year. Right. Like what was the point of their season? I mean, it was all just his own individual desire and effort level for him to, to be put, be able to put up like just monster impact stats in a, in a really bad environment. So we tend to use those eighties and nineties spots sometimes to slip in our little like teacher's pets, you know, and a lot of times those are the defensive guys or the glue guys or the hustle stat guys who, you know, maybe it's like a P.J. Tucker, right? He's averaging four or five points a game. It's, it's nothing to get really excited about. But, man, when he's on the court, you know, Houston plays really well. And, and we do definitely try to get those guys represented. So it's not just a, you know, anybody could just rank the top 100 scores, right? Like, we know what that's called. It's called points per game. And, and that doesn't really uh, help us very much when we're talking about the overall sport. Your choice for number one was LeBron James. Last year, we talked. It was a very difficult discussion for you how to do number one. Was it nearly as difficult this year? That is a fantastic question. I'm so glad you asked it because, Rob and I, we barely discussed it this year. We forced ourselves to go through uh, the normal process that we would. But when we came off postseason performance from LeBron, and, and obviously the quality of competition in the Easter Conference is you know, significantly lower, especially this year with some of the injuries out there compared to the West. But, I mean, from front to back, the, you know, the, the 50-point game in the finals, first time since Michael Jordan, uh, the multiple you know, buzzer-beating game winners, playing all 48 minutes uh, against the Celtics, you know, putting away Boston in Game 7 on the road, uh, just you know, really humiliating the Toronto Raptors and blowing up their whole organization. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, fantastic moments throughout the uh, Indiana series as well. I mean, it just kind of came down to the most simple explanation for us, which is his ceiling is considerably higher than anybody else's ceiling, and he's still able to get there consistently night in and night out during the playoffs. And until he falters, you know, until the Lakers go out in the first round or maybe, God forbid, you know, the Lakers miss the playoffs, we just had too hard of a time saying, you know, Kevin Durant, after five years being behind LeBron, like this is your time to move past him. Um, you know, we just you know continue to feel like if you put all these guys into a vacuum uh, and you're you know trying to win a playoff series or you're, or you're trying to uh, get the most value out of one guy and you're giving him an average set of teammates, uh, you know, to us it was still LeBron and it was actually an easier conversation this year uh, than it was the previous season. He's Ben Golliver. It's SI's top hundred. Check it out at SI.com. Done a marvelous job uh with this along with rob mahoney who does great work their podcast is open floor if you're looking for season previews josh lloyd did his whole fantasy basketball season previews now looking at fantasy position tiers so not quite the top 100 but from a fantasy standpoint he's looking at that make sure you catch that at locked on fantasy basketball so another one of your top 10 that i think was interesting was steph curry ahead of james harden i think some people will jump at that how come well, uh, it, that one was actually easy for us as well. I think what it came down to was when Steph is healthy and, you know, he obviously had the injury issue and, and that did provide, you know, kind of a complication, but we felt like he came back and looked uh, good enough afterwards in the postseason and was still able to kind of get up to a high level in the playoffs where we weren't going to hold that against him in sort of a major way. And he'd also had really, really good health uh, for basically like the four seasons prior to that injury. So we looked at the whole body of work and said, okay, it's not like he's falling apart at the seams here. You know, we don't have to hold the health against him too much. But when he's going, we've seen Golden State perform at an even higher level than Houston did in terms of offense, 
uh, in terms of wins, and his role is just as central uh, in the Warriors' uh, offense, uh, you know, both before and, and after Kevin Durant, uh, than Harden's. And, you know, maybe Harden did some heavier lifting uh, in that specific context last year. But again, it's not just about who had the best season in 2018, right? It's about who's the best player, uh, again, in a vacuum with average teammates. And with, with Steph, the three-point shooting is just on a different level. His ability to stretch defenses out and create opportunities for his teammates, you know, probably makes up in our eyes, you know, the gravity factor makes up for uh, Harden's superior passing ability. And then I, we also think that Steph's kind of still an underrated defender. Um, you know, he's very committed. He, he hung pretty well on switches, uh, you know, throughout the playoffs, which was a little bit of a surprise because, you know, the size issues are always there. Uh, you know, if Harden was like an all-league defensive player, they would be easier to make the better, you know, the best two-way player argument for him to be over Steph. And, you know, that's kind of why guys like uh, LeBron and Kevin Durant are able to, you know, maintain their spots above Steph on our list because of the defensive versatility and being able to, you know, handle multiple roles and, and multiple positions, uh, you know, when you really need them to, just in a way that, you know, no point guard really could, uh, outside of like Ben Simmons, if you want to consider him a point guard. Um, so, you know, Harden, we're also a little bit nervous. You know, there could be a regression factor, right? Like that was so clearly his best all around season. It was like Houston's best season in franchise history. Um, lots of things went right. He was so motivated from game one through game 82, um, and and just put up obscene numbers. It's not like anyone's going to solve Harden by next season, but you know, we are just thinking like, you know, uh, until he's able to get a team to the finals, uh, and really, you know, slay Golden State here. Uh, we had a hard time kind of bumping him over. Two players that I think people are going to quibble about. Okay. Devin Booker at 50 and DeMar DeRozan at 30. I think both people will think those are too low or too high. on the too low. Yeah, too that Devin Booker's better than 50. I listened to Locked on Clippers today. They were talking about it. They thought he was better than 50. I think people think DeMar DeRozan's better than 30. What's your thought? Uh, I think you're right that people will think that, but I think those people are wrong, especially in the case of Booker. I think he's one of those guys who everyone wants him to be the player he's going to be in about two or three years, but he's not that player yet. If you look at Phoenix, uh, one thing that we always look at, especially with leading scoring options, how well do you translate your own individual scoring to team success? You look at Phoenix's offense, 30th in the league last year, dead last. That is so difficult to do. You have to be terrible to have a 20-plus points per game score, you know, this you know, top 30 type player like some people like to call them, and have the worst offense in the league. Um, and then on top of that, their offense performed pretty similarly with and without him, right? So he's not having that major like lead option scoring impact, like even a guy like Lou Williams or, or someone else in that vein might have. So I think that's one part of it. And the other part is like people think Booker's a lot better than he is because they don't watch him play defense. And, you know, if he was playing one-on-one against himself, the game would go on for hours because he would never be able to get a stop. Right. And I think people like to make excuses for him. He's young. He's in a dysfunctional environment. He's had all these different coaches, you know, they're tanking at certain points. Like those things are true. Uh, but, you know, I remember watching, you know, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, some of these guys early in their career playing on some really bad teams. They played a lot harder on defense uh, than a guy like Devin Booker has. And when you're looking at his career, he still hasn't played a meaningful game. Uh, you know, his uh, his scoring efficiency has improved. 
Uh, his playmaking has improved slightly, but I don't view him as this amazing passer or this amazing distributor. Um, and I just think that his overall value is not nearly as um, pronounced as his individual scoring ability, and, and that doesn't get you very far on our list. You know, in terms of DeRozan, we've been hearing that he's underrated on our list for, I think, four years straight. And he has, you know, gradually moved his way up. You know, 30 is the highest ranking he's ever had with us. Um, but he can't go much higher than that if he's going to fall apart in the playoffs, not trust his three-point shot, not show up on defense, get benched by his coach who's on the hot seat. You know, I mean, how many times do you see – a veteran NBA coach bench his highest paid player during a playoff series when he's on the hot seat. That just never happens. Uh, it happened in the second round uh, for Toronto versus Cleveland. Uh, and then on top of that, he gets ejected because his emotions get the better of him. And, and he winds up basically no showing that whole series. Uh, he had some pretty substantial improvement during the regular season uh, in terms of, you know, being more confident shooting the, the three pointer and also trusting the pass a little bit more within their offense. It was more distribution minded offense up there with the Raptors, but those, those uh, steps forward just became two steps backward in the playoffs. And if you're going to be a completely different player in the regular season compared to the postseason, uh, in this list format, we're going to take both into account and we're absolutely going to hold your postseason no shows against you. I'm assuming Victor Oladipo took the biggest jump. He took a huge jump, and that one was embarrassing. You know, frankly, I like to joke that we never get one wrong because, you know, it's like we're, we're, we just get uh, hammered by people on this all day long. Uh, obviously, we miss a lot, and that was one where um, I don't think we were alone in missing what he did, but really going back through and looking at his statistical achievements, it was amazing. I mean, they were 0-7 without him. They lost by an average of 14 points. I think he was top five in clutch points, uh, you know, during the regular season. Uh, you know, a bunch of dramatic late game moments to deliver wins for them. You know, obviously his statistics across the board were crazy. Huge positive impact on both offense and defense. I mean, he is really what we're kind of looking for, uh, you know, a prototypical type performance. And I think the only reason why he wasn't higher is because we're just worried too good to be true you know like did he have the the mid-career breakout and then you know maybe he comes back to earth by five or ten percent next season if he doesn't shoot the ball quite as well doesn't have quite as good of luck you know in the late game moments and uh you know i guess i'm just a little skeptical that indiana is quite as good as they showed last year uh and i think you know oladipo is just amazing breakout season it can inspire both hope and then i think also a little bit of caution two players you had in the top 10 that I have a little bit of mixed feelings on. Um, and actually, one of them less mixed feelings than the other is a top 10 player, and it's not who you think. So let me give them to you. I'm not sure I think Russell Westbrook was a top 10 player last year. Yeah, fact, it's I'm tough. Pretty, I'm, pretty certain it's, it's he, a... I'm pretty certain he wasn't. And I'm not totally convinced that in the package of the whole thing, including leadership, that I'm putting Jimmy Butler in the top ten. Jimmy Butler was probably the toughest pick. I mean, we also went out on a little bit of a limb, and we held Kawhi Leonard's based on his no-show down in San Antonio against him. I think, you know, if Kawhi had handled that situation better, he probably has a spot in the top ten, and Butler gets dumped to 11, and it maybe gets a little bit easier uh, it was tricky to fill out the back half of the top 10 this year because guys like Chris Paul, Butler, uh, Kawhi, Leonard, Joel Embiid, they all missed a ton of time, right? And then John Wall misses a bunch of time. 
uh, you know, Kyrie Irving misses a bunch of time. You know, some of these guys who maybe had been you know, hoping to be in that kind of a mix in previous seasons, um, you know, just didn't put together that kind of complete campaign that you would look for. Uh, Butler sort of got the spot by process of elimination. It kind of came down to him versus Paul George. He had better advanced stats across the board. And, you know, at that number 10 spot, you know, we tend to favor, uh, you know, number one options uh, more than like really well-fitting number two options. And we just kind of view Paul George as, you know, uh, uh, basically a, a second fiddle, right? Like he's a second fiddle who could work with anybody, whether it's Westbrook or Harden or Anthony Davis, like his, his game is very, very transferable. But if you want him to be the main guy, I don't think your team's going to be as good as, uh, you know, a team with Jimmy Butler as the main guy. And, you know, to us, a lot of it comes down to just basically, you know, relentlessness going downhill. I mean, Jimmy, that's sort of the strength of his game. And for us, Paul George, you know, he's a great shooter. Uh, but settles a little bit too much. And I think he sometimes bails out opposing defenses with some of his shot selection decisions and just sort of his overall style of play. For somebody that athletic, I mean, he should be doing a lot more damage around the basket uh, and then also from the free throw line. In terms of Westbrook, man, he is, you know, he's so polarizing. He's, he's a very, very difficult person to rate. I mean, you know, he, he has another triple-double season, and yet he slips, like, a couple spots on this year's list. And if I was him, I'd be thinking, like, what more do I have to do, right? Uh, but then I think there's a very strong counter-argument, which I'm sure you're making, which is the decision-making issues have, you know, not gone away and arguably gotten worse. Uh, turnovers, inefficient shooting, not a great finisher around the basket. And, you know, those are, you know, very serious problems, especially in the postseason and the way that he went out, uh, you know, with the, the interaction with the fan and just kind of, you know, another, you know, doing too much meltdown in the postseason, not trusting his teammates and trying to do to, to do it all by himself. Uh, you know, it wasn't uh, exactly that hopeful. I think, you know, we kind of came down the guy plays with more fury and more energy than basically anyone else in the league. Uh, I, we do think that his volume statistical achievements, um, you know, are clearly historically, uh, you know, unprecedented in the modern NBA, uh, but also they do matter a lot. I mean, they're able to get you to a certain point as a team. Now, could he be the best guy on a championship team? You know, I'm not convinced of that, um, you know, really at all. I would like to see uh, improvements in those areas that I mentioned earlier to, to be willing to say that. Uh, but he's such a you know physically gifted player, and he sets the tone for his team, and he does so much that uh, we felt like he still deserves that top ten ranking. But uh, you know, one takeaway for us, you know, from this is if some of these other guys had been healthier and really put together complete seasons, you know, his spot would not have been guaranteed. Just like I didn't think his spot on the All NBA teams this year was guaranteed, even though he had the monster individual numbers. He's Ben Golliver. This is the SI Top 100 list. Yes, I will get on my island next. Don't worry, I'm not copping out. I'm not being a pansy. I was just being nice enough to not dominate with my own personal issues. It's coming next when we continue with Ben Golliver. If you're a football fan, Locked on NFL has an amazing schedule with Matt Williamson, Mike Sando on Thursdays. The Wednesday edition with Pro Football Focus is... Experts and Tuesdays with Sage Rosenfels and Locked On Fantasy Football is doing the same thing with experts in the field. Make sure you subscribe to those if you're a football fan. Okay, I'm getting on my island. Are you ready, Mr. Golliver? Always. So Rudy Gobert makes the Jazz the number one offensive team in the league. I mean, defensive team in the league. Like his presence. That's why they're number one. Same thing that the 
top players, Durant, Curry, Harden, do to put their teams as the number one offensive players. Um, Rudy Gobert's team got out of the first round of the playoff, which Giannis at six didn't. Westbrook at seven didn't. Um, Ten, Jimmy Butler didn't. Uh, Eleven, Paul George didn't. His team won more games than most of those teams. He was the best player on that team. Why is Rudy Gobert the best defensive and most impactful defense player in the league, not in the top ten? It's so funny because I just had someone yell at me that he was way overrated this morning, right? So it's like this, we can't win either way. Um, I think, first of all, I think the five Jazz starters were all in the top 55 or, or top 57, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think that is a, that's a factor here, right? Um, and he's They've got a good team, like, all around. So it's not... I mean, not to diminish what Rudy's role in that, but he, it's not this hero ball thing where he's like, you know, Iverson with the, the 2006ers, right? I mean, he's got a, a lots of really good players around him. And we think that because they've been able to mold that roster here over the last couple of years, they've, I mean, Quinn and, and uh, you know, their front office there, you know, Dennis Lindsay have done a great job of finding guys who complement their best player, right? And so, they're able to play a very clear style because of Rudy Gobert, but they're also able to surround him with pieces that really work with, with what he wants to do, uh, and it's to everyone's benefit. So I think that's, that's part of it. Um, second of all, you know, it is, it's difficult when Rudy is such an efficient offensive player, right? But like the, the width, I guess, of his offensive skills and impact is maybe not uh, on the same level as some of those names that you mentioned. Um, you know, in terms of uh, how many different ways can he really like beat you, uh, you know, in, in the off, uh, the offensive style. So I think that holds him back. And then also, uh, we were a little spooked by the last two playoffs. I mean, when you're running into those truly elite teams, whether it's Houston uh, or Golden State, I mean, they always find ways to expose whatever you can't do, right? And we just kind of feel like Rudy's, you know, traditional style of, of being a center works marvelously against probably 28 teams, right? But then he, he does get into some situations where uh, it gets a little bit trickier for him to deal with, you know, a Chris Paul in the mid-range uh, or a Steph Curry when they, you know, get a switch out on the perimeter. Uh, and, you know, sometimes there's other players, whether it's like a Draymond Green, uh, who I believe we had above, uh, Rudy Gobert, where uh, you would probably prefer to have those guys at the very, very elite level of basketball. Um, but we spent a lot of time debating Rudy Gobert, and I don't. I really do feel like what I said at the start is how it all shook out. I don't think we made anyone happy with where we put Gobert. I think the people who are like, "Oh, he's just a defensive player," you guys are crazy for you know getting too deep into the defensive real plus minus and defensive rating stats are upset, and the people uh, on your end who are saying, "Look, he's a much more complete player than most people realize, and he's got the winning to back it up." are also upset. So hopefully that means we split the difference, and uh, that's a good sign, not a bad sign. I'll just, because I'm petty and I have to get the last word, uh, I'll point out Russell Westbrook, who's ahead of him, shot 39%, and Paul George shot 40% in the playoffs uh, because they couldn't get to the rim and shoot because Rudy Gobert was present. I will also add that I would make the same exact argument for number 35 on the list, who's Clint Capella, who I actually thought was very, very... uh, I thought he just should have been much better ranked than he was. So just in fairness to all of this. Um, that I... well, so where would you have Capella? Because uh, we felt like Capella made a big jump on our list, and we were feeling pretty good about where we put him. 
Uh, but that's interesting. You're the first person who's told me that. So how high would, I would you put, put him? Fellow? I would put him in that 18, 19, 20 range with Carl Anthony Towns and Nikola Jokic. I think he's – so, so let me make sure I, I explain something, though. I think that both Rudy and Clint are offensive players as well. I think verticality at the rim really matters. And so the fact that both of them shoot 65% from the field, and maybe it's only 13 points a game and it's only a few shots, but one, they're the best if – if a coach – could run a play for a dunk on every play, he would never shoot a three. He would do it every play. And I just think that when you look at the pick-and-roll game of the Jazz and the Rockets, it's largely predicated on the fact they have this guy rolling to the rim that makes you have to stay with him all the way to the rim and changes the spacing. I don't think it's coincidental that the Jazz shoot the second most amount of corner threes of any team in the league while Rudy Gobert's rolling to the rim. No, I hear you. With Capella, one of our concerns with him was like the vacuum test, right? Like, could you imagine a better situation for any player with that skill set than to play with both Chris Paul and James Harden? Like, even forget all the other shooters who like kind of help him do what he does. Like, to have both of those guys, uh, you know, basically playing set up for you is the best possible case scenario. So, if you put Clint Capella on, you know, whatever your average team that you want to use is you know, like uh, the Detroit Pistons or some other team, like in that kind of mediocre mix, like what does his game look like? How is he able to thrive and how is he able to lift his team with what he does? That's where we start to hold like the, are you a a number one option, number two option, number three option thing uh, against guys? Because I do think it takes a certain level of, uh, you know, high achieving uh, lead, you know, playmaker, to kind of get the most out of those guys, or at least guys with high IQ and understanding of spacing to kind of, you know, make it work with a Capella type uh, or a Gobert type. Two areas where I'll disagree with you on that. Um, I think that you have to give the amount of players that are number one level defensive players that change who you are defensively are just as slim as the offensive players. So I think they deserve credit. I think Capella's in that group. I mean, they were sixth in the league defensively. He was the key to their whole switching defense. And the thing I would ask you is, let's say Carl Anthony Towns, who's an incredible offensive player, like incredible. If you put him on the Rockets, do you think they're the second-best offensive team and the sixth-best defensive team last year? Or do you think they're better than that? I think you can make an argument that they would be better on offense because then they're just, like, overloading you with sort of like a Galactic-style, you know, like – a constellation of stars in almost like Warriors-like fashion. But I hear you on their defense. I mean, it would drop uh, considerably. Uh, there's no doubt. Um, you know, one guy who we sort of looked at when we were thinking about Capella is obviously DeAndre Jordan. Like, how DeAndre Jordan appeared on the court in terms of his impact, both offensively and de- defensively, when he had Chris Paul uh, on both ends, was so much better than he looked last season when he didn't, uh, and especially on offense. I mean, his numbers weren't that different, but – uh, you know, just his overall impact. And some of that's age-related with Jordan for sure. And I think Capella is obviously a lot springier and a lot fleeter of foot, you know, getting up and down the court. Um, but I think our concern is that some of these, uh, these defense first centers are still quite reliant on teammates for their offensive contributions. And it, it's tricky because, you know, when the teams win, it's like you can give credit to every single person on the Warriors, right? We have four guys in the top 25 for the Warriors and the Rockets. Uh, you know, I think we had, what, three in the top 35, right? So it's one of those things where we're trying to spread the love around as uh, as best as possible. And, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, Capella uh, is not in the same category for us as Gobert because with Gobert we've had, you know, what, three or four years of, like, super high impact, really obvious, like, defensive player of the year type 
uh, you know, play. Whereas with Capella, you know, it's been a more gradual uptick. And then this was like, boom, his big explosion his big, like, you know, welcome to uh, the new era of the Clint Capella show, um, you know, this past season. So sometimes we, we want a guys to, to prove it. You know what I mean? All right. I want your truth serum here. By the way, I want to make sure this is clear. I think your list is great. Like, on my local podcast, Locked on Jazz, I had no quibble with anything you did. I think Rudy. Rudy's the only one I think should be higher. Like, I I would honestly have Rudy, like, close to six. Like, I would have a debate. My debate would be Rudy or Giannis. And since Rudy... Well, here's, here's, here's what I want to set up. I want you and Matt Moore to just go to the death because all he right. was the one who was kind of talking to me this morning about Rudy. And I, I feel like I was making all the arguments uh, that you're making to him, and now I, he was making all the arguments that I'm making to you. So, you know, like I said, I, I think we'll I like he's Matt. just one of those guys. And this happens sometimes. When you have players, there's just not another Rudy Gobert in the NBA, right? Like, how many other guys are even in the same kind of category? Like, you could sort of say Joel Embiid would be sort of the closest, right? But they're definitely different players. Uh, Rudy's much more proven in terms of how long he's done it for. Uh, you know, Embiid is uh, much more... Uh, assertive and sort of multidimensional on offense, but sometimes he gets himself in trouble that way. So, uh, you know, the number of traditional centers who are in the top, you know, what, 30 or 40, I'm sure you noticed was, uh, was pretty slim. You know, there's not too many guys still hanging around in that mix. All right. I have my final very important question for you. You have to be completely truthful. Did you have Andrew Wiggins in your top 100 on your original list? We did, um, but we thought long and hard about it, right? And he is – he. I mean, we, were, we kind of said this in the blurb too. He probably has the emptiest numbers of anybody in the NBA. Uh, and, and some of that is because he plays so many freaking minutes and he's done so for four years straight. I think he's led the NBA in regular season, you know, aggregate minutes during his four-year career by a really healthy margin. So I think – if we're talking about like the best case scenario for Wiggins, I'll say this. It's not to throw him out there for that many minutes, never give him a night off uh, and ask him to be a third option behind, you know, Towns and Jimmy Butler, who's obviously going to just completely overpower him with his personality. Uh, that's actually pretty close to almost the worst case scenario for a player with uh, Andrew Wiggins' skills. But we like his durability, of course. Uh, he showed, uh, you know, pretty – successful downhill offensive game in terms of, you know, not this past season, but the year before when he was really asked to do more getting to the free throw line, uh, you know, being able to shoot the three pointer to some degree, you know, not nearly as much as people would want. Uh, but, you know, there's so many areas of improvement that he needs to make. And, and he dropped considerably on our list. You know, people told us last year we had him underrated. I think he was right around where Booker is this year uh, for a lot of the same reasons. And, you know, he wound up, I think, dropping 20 or, or 25 spots. And, um, you know, I, I'm not ready to completely give up on him. I, I think, uh, and I think Rob shares that too. Um, but, you know, the, the longer it takes for that, you know, light bulb moment, uh, you know, the, the more depressing and kind of demoralizing uh, that it is that this is sort of where his career ended. Because I remember him his sophomore year of high school, and he told me he wanted to be a, a combination of, LeBron James and Kevin Durant. He wanted to be a killer late in games. He wanted to be the number one scoring option, take every big shot. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, man, this 15, 16-year-old kid knows exactly who he wants to be. Uh, you know, he's more athletically gifted than anybody in his class. He's doing spin moves around everybody. He's, you know, rising for off the backboard dunks. Like, you know, this kid's the real deal. And somewhere along the line, it just really seems like, you know, his fire, his passion – 
for the game uh, has, if not extinguished, then, you know, certainly diminished. And, uh, you know, if I was Minnesota, frankly, I would think pretty strongly about trying to trade him. Like, could you sucker Sacramento into an Andrew Wiggins trade? Like, could, could you kind of uh, make them believe he could be their future, you know, you know, lead ball handling wing, uh, you know, number one scorer, you know, put some butts in some seats. Like, could you kind of talk Vlade Divac into that? Uh, you know, if I was Tibbs, I think that would be the button I would push um, as I try to hang on for dear life with the, the Jimmy Butler experiment and then, you know, continue to uh, work through Carl Anthony Towns' unhappiness. I think it's the most fascinating player in the league. I was with, I was with a bunch of really bright basketball people, um, and that was the debate for a long, long time. It was... It was a real. It's a. It's really. It was a fascinating debate. I think the only way they trade him is if you take um, Gorgie Jang's contract with it, and then I don't know how you're moving forty million dollars of contracts. <laughs> yeah, oh, gonna need some extra Brinks trucks for that. You know, it's <laughs> back them up. Pretty crazy. All right, uh, I appreciate the time immensely. I didn't get to discuss with you Pau Gasol, Dirk Nowitzki debate, which was probably the most enjoyable time that either of you had the whole time debating those two near the end of your chart. I thought you did a marvelous job. I congratulate you for the exercise. It's one I did a long time ago for many, many years. I could show you. And when I ranked Shane Battier ahead of Carmelo Anthony one year, everybody went bananas. So um, <laughs> I, I feel the oh, we, Yeah, we got that with Covington and Booker, right? Same, same concept this year, I think. Um, the one thing I just say to, to tie this off though, is like, it's not just about the numbers guys. Like we wrote two or three paragraphs on every single guy on that list. We tried to capture what they do well, maybe what they could work on, what state of their career they're in, where they could go in the future. I mean, it, it really is more than just the numbers. It's kind of a thought experiment and a, uh, you know, a rumination on, on all these players. And so, you know, if you've got a spare, you know, 20 hours this weekend, I encourage you to dig in and, read it from start to finish, or at least read the guys who, uh, you know, you're most excited about. Uh, I will tell you, it's one of the primary pieces of my prep for the whole season. Like every single little note you have in there ends up on my prep sheets on my players. So I I appreciate it immensely. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad that we passed. It sounded like we passed anyways. I don't know if we got an A, but maybe a B plus. We'll take that. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can talk soon. I'll give you an A-plus because if you put Gobert in the top ten, I'd have nothing left to talk about. Uh, he's Ben Dolliver, <laughs> Open Floors, his podcast with Andrew Sharp. They do a really nice job. Is the articlessi.com. Rob Mahoney works with him as well. Make sure you grab it. Super fun to have Ben with us. Thanks very much. Please send him a thank you on Twitter. You can reach him at Ben Golliver. That is at Ben Golliver. Check out the SI Top 100. Friday edition, Adam Matas and... Uh, Anthony Irwin will talk about the Russell Westbrook injury and what that means and have more for you. Locked on NBA, still holding to every day in training camp, now just about a week away. We look forward to continuing on Locked on NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.